This week on The Sport Blokes. This week, journalist Jackson McDonald joins us as we discuss the Aussie Women's Triumphant Cricket World Cup, a massive week of hoops as Kansas are NCAA champs, and a Sydney Illawarra finals could be on the cards, plus a run-through of an entertaining round three in the AFL. Lots of fun, let's go. It's Tuesday the 5th of April at 7.20 in Perth and 9.20 in Melbourne. And the reason I say that is because we have a very special guest. He's a familiar voice to those that listen to the NBL News podcast and will also be known to most of our listeners as a man who's not afraid to ask the hard questions in NBL press conferences. But he's actually as mad about sport as we are. So we're delighted to have him on the whole episode today to talk about a bunch of different things. A very special sport bloke's welcome to Jackson McDonald. Thank you. Thank. I've been a long time listener to this podcast. So I'm, I'm really excited to be on it. So The pleasure is all ours. Thank you very much for joining us on board. And he's here for the whole show, Stewie. Yeah. So as we do at the top every week, we'll call your attention. And what'd you miss? Well, for me, probably the big one has to be the penalty shootout from the World Cup qualifier between Senegal and Egypt. So coming into this leg, Egypt led 1-0 and Bully Dia scored in the fourth minute to level it at 1-1 on aggregate. Eventually goes to penalties, Senegal wins 3-1. And look, to be fair, they probably shouldn't have even gone to penalties anyway. Uh, Pape Cisse and Ismail Assar both should have absolutely buried Egypt before penalties even became a factor. But the big thing is the Egyptian players getting ready to take their penalties and having numerous green laser pointers right across their faces and eyes. Mm. It's disgusting. It was highlighted with the Mo Salah miss, but um, obviously the the concern here is just how the security was either completely inept or just willing to allow it to happen because it assisted their nation in winning. Mm. Um, and it is worth noting that just qualifying to the World Cup is worth about $10 million to each nation. If they happen to win it, it's about $62 million. So there's a lot of money involved. So it's easy to kind of add that corruption side of things to it. Uh, if that was me, I'd probably do something about it. And I, I guess I'm kind of keen to get your boys' thoughts on it, Jax. You've probably seen it, I assume. Yeah, yeah, so I have. And th- this is a common occurrence in, you know, South America and African football in which fans will do anything and everything to get their team to win. And this is just an example of it. And it doesn't shed a good light on it. And um, especially when it's a World Cup qualifying, it's only one leg and you don't really have that much time to uh, change things. It isn't a good look. Yeah, disappointing is a word to say, but what it, I don't have a correct word for it. So like, it's just extremely disappointing with what's happened. Bloody terrible. I, I would never in a million years do that as a fan. And, and I, I get people are desperate, but it's just, it's, it's a hollow victory. I think it's disgusting. And football fans are traditionally... I guess, cut from a different cloth, so to speak. They are a little bit more hardcore. Rowdy. <laughs> yeah, a bit more rowdy, a bit more, more full-on than a lot of other fans out there. But it's, it's an interesting point you make, Jackson. You know, in that moment, you don't really have any time to recover from that. It, it's not like they were flashing it in Salah's eyes while he was one-on-one with a goalkeeper. It's like literally he's got that penalty and that's it. Yeah, concentrated. He, he yeah. Can't, if, he, you know, if the goalkeeper saves it, he can't go in and follow up like he could in normal play. So yeah, just a, a really, just a dis- yeah, disappointing, I think is probably the word. I, I really think it mm. is. How about yourself, Jackson? What, what caught your attention this week? Well, uh, this, well, over here, it's Sunday and Monday, but over in the States, it was Saturday and Sunday. It was WrestleMania this week. And Ooh. I'm a big wrestling guy. Just watching two days of, Wrestling in the morning was an afternoon over over here in Melbourne is pretty good, but but the thing that got me so it was day two and it was 
um, NFL punter of the decade, Pat McAfee, who is surprisingly really, really good at wrestling and um, his match against Austin Theory. So McAfee wins. And then 74-year, I think he's 74-year-old Vince McMahon comes out, rips off his shirt, has his, he's jacked still somehow. <laughs> and it, And he proceeds to beat Pat and then... Stone Cold comes out and gives Vince one of the worst stunners you'll ever see in your life. Not one of. One of. of It it is the. The worst. (laughs) The worst. So, oh, but the the moment is hilarious, but it was an ugly watch, but loved WrestleMania this year and it was really good. It's better with fans there as well, obviously. So what a Roman Reigns I saw, didn't he? Uh, did his shoulder did or something? He his shoulder? Yeah, he yeah. did his shoulder. shoulder. He did his shoulder in the main event and they had to cut it short. Like I heard things that Brock was going to do a shooting star, Mania oh. 19, in which he almost broke his neck. Yeah, that I remember move. that. Came up short. And there was also rumours about it, it being Brock's retirement match, but I don't think that's the case. But yeah, it was just such a weird thing because the match ended very short for what I expected after their previous encounters. And yeah, just. I guess if you pop out a it shoulder, it's it pretty hard to keep competing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> ask Callum Sinclair when he was playing for Sydney a couple of years ago. I remember he popped his shoulder, then he went off the ground, it popped back in, and then he went out again. And then within 30 seconds, it popped back out it's again. He, and case, yeah. he was out for the season. So. And we remember yeah. Gary Ablett in the in that grand final as oh, well, getting yeah. his shoulder smashed in the first what, yeah. couple of minutes of the yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it wasn't that the same. Was so yeah, shoulders are tough. Yeah. The one for me was Darren Creswell smashing his <laughs> knee back <laughs> in place. Thought like bloody hell. Yeah, that guy was tough. Just, just quickly before we move on to you, Nathan, I was actually having to think about WrestleMania. I went back actually this afternoon. I watched a bit of the highlights of the Shane McMahon versus Undertaker Hell in a Cell in WrestleMania 32. It still amazes me seeing Shane McMahon decide to try and drop an elbow off the top of that cage <laughs> and seeing Taker just roll out of the way and him just destroy oh. himself. Honestly, when Shane O'Mac is involved in a match, you know that something stupid is going to happen. He's going to jump off of something big or do some ridiculous flippy something off the top rope. And yet that match for me was the moment itself is incredible that the guy wasn't wrestling for seven, eight years. And then he came back and he did that stupid jump like he always does. And it it was one (laughs) hell of a moment. So can't blame him. Yeah. I don't know how they do it. I really don't. I must confess, yeah. Jackson, I haven't watched wrestling for probably 20 years, actually. I remember when Triple H was Hunter Hearst Helmsley. So I have a few things. There's a new world record for women's soccer. So 91,553 people attended the Barcelona and Real Madrid match last week at Camp Nou. Is that how you Camp, Camp Nou. At Camp, Camp Nou, Nou breaking the previous record from the 1999 Women's World Cup. It must be said there have been a couple of other occasions of crowds in excess of 100,000, apparently, unofficial World Cup 1971 matches. So I guess because they're unofficial, it doesn't count for mm. some reason. Bruce Arians has stepped aside in Tampa Bay, making way for Todd Bowles as head coach of the Buccaneers there. Could be Tom Brady fingerprints on that. We don't Mm -hmm. know, but uh, Mm -hmm. there's a bit of speculation about that. (laughs) But what I wanted to focus on was on Monday, 15-year-old Michael Kuami, I think that's how you say it, lost to Rafael Ankra 267667 in the first round of the ITF Juniors tournament in Accra, the capital city of Ghana. 
And it was a real cheeky thing. I don't know if you blokes saw this. So after the match, they go up to the net and they shake hands. And he's shaking hands with his right hand. And then with his left hand, he slaps him. He will smithed him. Yeah, he will smithed him. what? Yeah. yeah oh, my gosh. Yeah, he will smithed him. So it brings me back to last week. Uh, for those that haven't listened, we had two-time Australian and world air guitar runner-up, uh, the ginger assassin on the show. We definitely encourage people to listen. What was it he, he said? Tennis really is is also epitomizes male tantrums. It just follows <laughs> on from that perfectly. But we did have an absolute blast with him. Worth checking out if you haven't heard it, as well as episode 95 when he talks sport with us. The thing I loved about it is this kind of changing of gears between dick jokes and swearing interspersed amongst gems like every failure is but an opportunity for learning and his greatness spawned from the greatness of his predecessors. He had some really great little one-liners, <laughs> didn't he? Oh, yeah. Around those dick oh. jokes, as I say. But anyway, what'd you miss, mate? Oh, geez, a lot of AFL this week, unfortunately. I was fortunate enough to see, I, I guess, the important stuff, the the Geelong comeback against Collingwood, which we'll talk about, the, the Derby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, oh. and, and a couple of other ones. But yeah, I certainly maybe saw three matches in total. It was, uh, it was a lot missed. Jackson, what did you miss? Oh, I'm in the same boat as you. Like, I missed the Carlton Hawthorne match because, I, I was, as I was saying earlier, I was watching WrestleMania. So I missed out on that comeback and then eventual whatever you want to call it, choke or whatever you want to say. Yeah, I watched highlights of it. I watched last 10 or so minutes and it's a real incredible game of football. It is great to see, I guess, the re-emergence of Carlton and Hawthorne as well. They both started the season really well. Talk about the footy a little bit later on, but yeah, it's that was a cracking game. Yeah, so I, I grazed around a lot this weekend. I kind of, I watched quarters and halves here and there. So I, I did see that last quarter of Adelaide and Port Adelaide. I rewatched, I rewatched the Carlton Hawthorne last quarter as well. I actually missed the Swans dogs because I was still working because of the time difference. And then I saw the free kick count and thought, oh, for my mental health and heart, maybe I shouldn't watch it. I forgot uh, it was even on, to be honest. <laughs> I, might, I might come back to it, but uh, I will come back to it so I can say that I've seen every game of my team this season, but I just haven't got there yet. I did also, unfortunately, miss a little bit of the NBL. I'd, I'd hoped to watch the Melbourne Illawarra game but unfortunately, I just didn't get there. There's not enough hours in the day, are there, boys? Not, not with all of the sports. With having the AFL back and having nine games every weekend, having seven or eight games of NBL, Cricket World Cup on, WrestleMania, there's so many things on that. It's just, yeah, it's impossible to even get close. Well, let's get there, Stuart. You've opened the door perfectly, uh, at risk of using that phrase yet again after using it about four times last week. The Women's World Cup, Australia, whitewash, didn't lose a match. And I tell you what, Alyssa Healy, uh, her form has changed a little bit since what you were talking about oh, a few weeks oh, ago. It has, it has. I have badmouthed her form right up until this. And fair play to her. I'm happy to put my hand up. I mean, she absolutely destroyed the West Indies yeah. in the semifinal and then went about five steps better against England in the final. I mean, pretty much the shortened version of this is Australia come in 7-0 and after qualifying they pummel the Windies by 157 runs. It's a 216-run opening stand between Rachel Haynes and Alyssa Healy. That's what does it. I mean, the West Indian fielding was atrocious, to say the least. They dropped a bunch of sitters, but an absolute masterclass. And it has to be said, England kind of did the same to South Africa. The perennial chokers choke again. Yeah, well, we haven't really looked at the South African women in tournaments, but, geez, does it cross uh, gender lines, potentially? I mean, it kind of has in this case. I mean, they came in, they'd lost, what, one game in qualifying. 
England were very, very close to not even making it. They lost their first three. Oh, credit to them for making the final. Yeah, they, yeah. they beat New Zealand by one wicket and they had to make, I think, eight runs with nine down in order just to qualify. And what do you know? Sophie Eccleston proves why she's the number one bowler in the world, six for 36, and Danny Wyatt makes 129. And we get into this final and Alyssa Healy, I mean, I don't know, did you boys get to see much of the final? I watched a bit, but I only watched the end of it because I wanted to see the celebrations because I was watching um, the Shield final, actually. Oh, and, nice. um, and and we'll get on to that, obviously. Yeah. But um, he, I saw the scorecard and I was thinking something's like there has to be an error here because there's no way Alyssa Healy is going 170 off 138 or something like that. Yeah, better yeah 138. Over. Yeah, so it was just an incredible effort and it could have been a whole lot more runs and it could have been a whole lot more worse for England because we bowled them out for close to 300, I want to say. I mean, I may be wrong, but uh, Siva made some ridiculous scoreline to keep them in it, but she was the only person that was standing up for England and nobody could go with her. And that was just the end result. And Australia just dominated the World Cup yet again. It's interesting you say that. So Natsi were 148 off 121 balls. You had Tammy Beaumont, Heather Knight, Amy Jones, Sophia Dunkley, and Charlie Dean all out between 20 and 30. So you're right. No one could go with her. Well, it wouldn't have been a match if it weren't for Siva, hey? Mm. The, the thing that stood out to me was Elise Perry on that final ball reaching out with a dud back to get that final run. Like the commitment when you've just come back from a back injury, that's, that's pretty impressive stuff. So... So that's kind of the thing that sticks out to me. Unfortunately, I only got to watch the highlights. I didn't get to watch any of it live, but wow, what a performance. I think just quickly, the crazy thing when you look at it is, and to, I guess to underline the Aussie dominance, if you look at the, the run scorers, Alyssa Healy, Rachel Haynes, 1-2, Lanning and Mooney, 5-6. and six. So four of the top six batters were from Australia, which is just insane. And I Hard think, to lose a tournament with that, with that sort of record. Yeah, and, and yeah. if you look at the averages as well, I mean, going into the final, the top three averages in the tournament were Beth Mooney, Meg Lanning, and Rachel Haynes. Just absolutely unstoppable with the bat. Always contributors with the ball. The fielding was excellent pretty much throughout the entire tournament. The odd drop catch, but I think New Zealand and Australia had the highest sort of catch percentage. I think it was all hovering around 80 81%, which you'd take. And yeah, to be batting on a deck like that first, I was actually quite happy that they sent us in. It made, made for a very entertaining well, day. At risk of being a broken record, runs on the board in a final are huge. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we had a very, very good platform to defend, didn't we? And I'll tell you what, I read an article on news.com.au today and they're out for blood. They want to keep winning. No one's going to retire. They, they just want to keep getting that silverware. And I, I didn't realise Ash Gardner's only 24. Mm. Wow. So this and, and the, the young players that they're blooding, they've got a really good mix of, of veterans and youth. And then a couple of those middle players too. So well, if you look at the bowlers, so you've got Sutherland, you've got Alana King, one you've of the youngins, Ta- yeah. Talia McGrath, Another young rounder. Yep. Yep. These girls are all, yeah, early to mid-ish 20s and very much have at least one, probably two more World Cups in them. So yeah, it, it's it is brilliant. Just quickly before we move on, I did want to just ask the question. Um, and Jackson, look, I don't know if you happened to see the 2007 World Cup final, the Australian smashing Sri Lanka. In the I don't know if you've seen replays. You're probably a, bit, uh, a little bit I've younger. I've probably but... seen replays, but yeah. So we were fortunate enough to be there, and we've mentioned it a number of times. Yeah. Seeing Adam Gilchrist, the 149 off 104. This was almost more impressive, I think. I know it's it should be. Did she have a squash ball? It's a higher school. She didn't have a squash ball, no. <laughs> but just... <laughs> 
just the destruction and the, the power and the, the 360 degree way that she played that ground. It was just spectacular. So Jackson, we might throw to you first because you said you got to watch a bit of The Shield. WA won for the first time in a couple of decades. One in inverted commas. Well, yeah. that won The Shield. Yeah. Well, a draw, yeah, a I draw just... A, win. a draw is a win if yeah. you finish top of the table and it's happened many times. Like, I'm of the firm belief that it should be like the Premier League and there's no point in a final if you finish top. Just if you if it's draw and you finish top, that's fine, you win. And um, I was just so impressed by Bancroft and Whiteman and Hardy and those guys batting, like particularly Hardy coming in at six or seven in the second innings and scoring 150 plus and in a shield final, that isn't that easy in particularly for an all-rounder and WA and Victoria were having depleted sides like Marcus Harris had like COVID and he wasn't allowed to enter the state and all the Western Australians out on tour in Pakistan right now. And it was just such a great performance. Like we were playing three keepers, <laughs> like yes. Bancroft, yeah. Whiteman, yeah. Philippi, Inglis could have played if he wasn't in Pakistan. And like, it just shows great depth that um, WA has at the moment. So I was just really impressed with, um, with WA finally being able to win in 20 years. Like Sean Marsh, I think, won early in his career. And then, then we finally won again. So it's great to see. Like, I think this will be his last Shield season. I may be wrong in saying that, but Thank I think you. that's I a think general consensus. Yeah, I think that's a general consensus by everyone. And um, it's good to see him go out as a Shield winning captain, nonetheless, and finally bring the Shield home to WA. I think he was part of the WA side, but he wasn't in that Shield final. In the team. I don't think he actually, yeah. Yeah. Oh, part of the I don't think he was actually credited with, uh, with that. So, yeah, very great to see him finally achieve that. And the buzz is getting a lot of chat in our friendship group at the moment, Jackson, is all these all-rounders that WA keep producing. Oh my like, where do we find them? So, Stoinis, Marsh, Cam Green, Hardy, Agar, yeah, a bunch of others that I Hilton can't. Cartwright. I mean, Hilton Cartwright. Yep. Yeah. And then you've got all the wicketkeeper batsmen that yeah. we have. <laughs> Luckily, like, they can we have five or six. And Connolly is another all-rounder who's coming up the ranks. And um, he captained Australia recently. And it just shows that WA is a very good talent production line. And, um, you know, other states are stealing our players, like Marcus Harris, for example, as we were saying <laughs> earlier. But, yeah, it's just good to see WA finally. Well, they won the um, treble in the men's. You won yep. the one day, you won Shield. And Scorchers, I mean, even though they're not the same, they are technically the Warriors or whatever you want to call them. Silverware so, from um, the state of WA. Yeah, the WBBL yes. too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, Tassie won. Um, WA cricket. Yeah. And, and somehow Tassie won the women's 50 over tournament and credit to them. So yep. it's just good to see WA finally doing something in the shield. Absolutely. Absolutely. I did want to just quickly piggyback off a couple of the points you made. So obviously talking about the, the batting wicket keepers and, and it's something for, you know, for us being a little bit older growing up through, I guess the, the nineties, I guess was probably when we started. Well, Timmy Zur and Ryan yeah, Campbell. We, and we, I mean, they, Luke that, Ronke. that was kind of the first iteration of the batting wicket keeper. And it, Going back further to, you know, the 70s and the 80s to an extent, there were a lot of wicket keepers who just didn't bat. They were just, that was a specialist fielding position and you just, you did that. But- well, I was amazed to hear, so I was at the Derby on Sunday and at halftime they did a lovely tribute to Rod Marsh, which was really nice. It was actually one of the highlights mm. of, of being there, actually. 
And they mentioned that he was the first Aussie keeper to score a ton. Yep. I couldn't wow. believe that when I heard it. So yeah, you're right. The the, the batting wicketkeeper, as as the great Richie Benno, may you rest in peace, always used to say, and I never really appreciated it until I was quite a bit older. If you can bat when you're a wiki, you're an all-rounder. I mean, Rob Marsh's test average mm. was 26. Yeah, yeah. Which okay. is yeah. not phenomenal when you're looking no, at it. No, but it's kind of normal for a wiki. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But Jackson, yeah. I did want to throw back to you. You mentioned, obviously, the incredible game that Aaron Hardy had. So 174 not out in the second innings, three for 54 in the Victorian batting innings, got rid of Pete Hanscom, Travis Dean and Matt Short. Is he a little bit unlucky not to get man of the match, in your opinion? Oh, I think he was robbed, but... Whiteman scored 30 mid 30s in the first innings and then scored he scored a century in the second innings so fair enough but I think Cardi was a bit unlucky there took three in the first innings and then had a massive total in second and I think he became the third highest run scorer by Western Australian in shield final I may be wrong but I heard that on commentary so it must be right so um yeah it I just feel like he was a bit robbed there but you know it's Sam Whiteman and Guy's been a rock for Western Australia for so many years, and it's good to see him finally be rewarded. I guess. Absolutely. Did um did either of you boys get to see the the knock from Corey? Is is it Rocky Rocky Chiolo? I, I don't know how you pronounce his surname, but Riccoli? the 50th of twenty nine. Did you see that in the first yeah. innings? Oh my gosh! Just he thought it was the big bash. Just come out and smack <laughs> it. But uh. oh, it it was good to it was good fun. Like. We, you know, if that didn't happen, it would be a completely different game and Victoria might have had a chance at coming back at winning, but that knock kind of saved us in the first innings because you removed that and Victoria would have been ahead after the first innings. So it was good to see. The other thing that stuck out for me was Will Pukowski. Obviously, he's had all those issues with the concussions and, and you know, we've really worried about his career. Good to see him score some runs too, so get through the match unscathed. So obviously the one day is in Pakistan wrapped as well. We won't go into too much detail now because we just don't have the time, but uh, good tour. Good to see the Australians back over there again after 25 years. And hopefully it won't be that long before it happens again. <laughs> Barbara Azam in that last match was magnificent. And so was Imam Al-Hart. Yes, and it, yes, mm. yes. It, it is worth mentioning. But- they were roads, but I mean, if you look at what happened in that third one, I mean, Shaheen Afridi was was pretty bloody good. Harris Ralph, you know, Mohammed Wazim all taking wickets. And to, to bowl Australia out for 210 on that deck is a very impressive performance, quite frankly. Indeed. Now let's get on to the basketball boys. And I know that our NBL listeners will probably be, well, they'll, they'll be keen to hear him talk about lots of things. They may be most keen to hear him talk about something. But first, we've got to talk about the NCAA final. Now, it was held today, so unfortunately, I didn't get to watch the whole thing. I watched about the last 10 minutes. I think maybe we'll, and this is the blokes, of course. Unfortunately, I haven't seen much of the women's, but maybe we'll rewind back to the final four. I don't know if you lads got to see much of the final four. Duke in a very tough loss to Carolina on one end, and then Kansas having a much easier run against Villanova on the other. It's sad to see Coach K go out, but he made a Final Four for the final time, and that's it is what it is. Duke had an impressive tournament, and it just fell short to a very solid North Carolina team. And I may be wrong in saying this, but I think it was the first time in March Madness history that Duke actually played North Carolina, considering that they're so massive rivals. And it was a big thing that Duke lost in the regular season to um North Carolina and then they lost again and 
it's a bit shocking and it's a bit sad to see Coach K go out like this. But, you know, he, he's had a very, very successful career, not just with Duke, but with Team USA as well. And yeah, it's just shocking to see him go out like that. You're absolutely right. So North Carolina did spoil his farewell at Cameron Indoor for his last home game ever. And then I'll be honest, it was a bit of a surprise. I was expecting a Duke-Kansas final. There were eight lead changes and 12 ties. It was a fantastic game from start to finish. Caleb Love scored the Tar Heels last eight points in just under 25 seconds. A couple of, I guess, controversies. First of all, for me, I thought the game was... I don't know if you got to see the whole thing, Jackson, but I actually thought the game was ruined a little bit. And I think a, a big reason why Duke lost is because there are a couple of really dodgy fouls on Mark Williams. And he basically barely played at all. And this is a guy that has been playing spectacularly well in the tournament, was averaging four blocks a game, defending the paint. It was a massive uphill battle the minute they couldn't play him extended minutes. Yeah, and wasn't there like a very dodgy no call that was overturned for Ramanan one in the final minute or so? Yeah, maybe wrong. Yes, that's that, right. Actually, yeah, that was yeah. that was one of the Duke guys. Uh, that to me was a clear continuation. I'm not sure how that doesn't be allowed to be an M one. It just looked like a textbook continuation from what we're used to having watched a lot of NBL and a lot of NBA over the years. That was a head scratcher, absolutely. And obviously, you would expect the last game at Duke for a couple of guys, Paolo Banquero and also uh, AJ Griffin, will will likely be drafted as lottery picks. So. A very, very big turnover at Duke coming up. and Well, there's a tip that four of their starting five will be in the first round. Yeah. Yeah, very good team. Quite a surprise. What do you make of Bancaro, Jackson? I, I think he's going to be a very, very solid player wherever he goes. Like, lottery hasn't happened yet, and he's going to be a very solid power forward for the next 10 years in the league. I don't see him being a um, an MVP, but I don't watch a whole lot of college basketball so it's tough to translate from the college game to the NBA level like we've seen guys like dominate like Greg Oden just go out and not perform to the same level Anthony Bennett is a different situation but um <laughs> yeah yeah there's been a yeah few of them. it'll be very interesting to see how he goes like I'm more confident in guys like um Besson in the NBL like I think he'll be a very solid role player wherever he goes because he's playing at a professional level at a very high professional level against men and um, college basketball is just a different beast so we'll see how, we'll have to see how he goes yeah Dieng has just exploded this last probably oh my gosh four to six weeks I remember halfway through the season having chats with a number of people about like this guy's a bust he's he does nothing he shot selections terrible he can't shoot and all of a sudden he yeah he's playing at almost an all nbl sort of first or second team level the same as someone like a keanu pinder these, these sorts of guys have just yeah exploded in the last few weeks i think people forget how young these guys are i mean they they take time to develop they're playing against men i'm not surprised at all to be honest about Dieng. I, I still think he's a bit timid, but we'll get to the NBL. Yes. We will get there. <laughs> I, I'm 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 a bit iffy about Bancaro. I think he'll be very good. He's got that Ben Simmons frame and he's got that handle that Ben Simmons has. Obviously, he's a much better shooter than Ben. He's a much more he, he looks for his shot a lot more. He's much more of a scorer than Ben. He's not quite the defender Ben is, but they have a very similar body. But I think he'll play that kind of point power forward kind of role. I, I, I do expect that in the pros. But I agree with you, Jackson. I'm not convinced that he's kind of a transcendent like 
MVP candidate kind of guy. I think whoever gets him will be pretty happy. But, he, but I have but a feeling... projected to Detroit at two at this stage. Well, that's right. And he was projected at one. So something's a, happened along yeah, the line. not a good fit for him. Yeah. So so it will be interesting to see, because I was going to say that at last I, I saw he was projected at one only a couple of days ago. And I was going to say that I'm not convinced he'll end up being the best player in the draft. He might be selected first. But I'm not convinced that he'll he'll end up being the best player in the in the entire class. Time will tell on that one. We'll go ahead to the final now because I, well, I don't know if you saw any of the Villanova and Kansas game, Jackson. I I had hoped to get to it, but I prioritized the Duke UNC game because I knew it would be closer, and it was. Uh no, I didn't actually get to watch it, but um, uh, I think it was a blowout. No, it was pretty yeah. comfortable. Yeah, and Villanova yeah. had one of their main players missing with injury, so. It was always going to be a, a, a really tough, tough... 81-65, that one. Yeah, yeah. So we'll move to the final. Again, I haven't seen all of it because it was today. I don't know how much you saw, Stewie. Most of the second half. Yeah, okay. While I was, quote, working. Yes. <laughs> and you managed to see bits and pieces as well. Um, yeah, my understanding, I, was, Jackson. I was stuck in a making media class at uni, but um, I watched... I watched highlights of it. I watched the last 10 or so minutes of the game. So it was the biggest comeback in NCAA final history. Kansas actually trailed 40 to 25 at halftime and ended up winning 72 to 69. Well, actually, it was a tie for the biggest halftime comeback. Oh, okay. Yes, with Loyola Chicago over Cincinnati in 1963. Well, there you go. Okay. Wow. It's the benefits of watching the game, mate. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, I actually work when I'm working, Stu. Um, I don't work when I'm not watching. <laughs> oh, um, but the bit of controversy in this one too. So Armando Baycott actually re-injured his ankle. And I didn't pick it up at the time, but it was actually on unstable floorboards. I don't know if you blokes saw this, but his foot buckled because the floorboard sunk a little bit. So that's going to be big news and, and a lot of discussion about that because the game was still in the balance at that stage. And it was one, another one of those NCAA courts where the bench is below court level, which I just, oh, I, hate, I hate those. Like, yeah. I think Vanderbilt, it's- for example, is one that comes to mind where AJ Ogilvy played, of course. It's a really interesting finish. UNC did not, finish well did they nah. they went for a threes no. when they could have had a quick two as jay billis banged on about a fair bit well, 22, they could have kept it alive 23 24 seconds left when they got the ball back down three yeah and yeah they're straight away looking for the the three but unc is guarding the three-point line you can get an easy drive to the layup there's no rim protection in there get your get your deuce and and try to play the foul game yeah and puffy johnson great name oh puff was great that second <laughs> yeah but that three took at the it end was ter- yeah. Yeah, yeah i don't think he yeah. had much of a choice though that was the problem brother of cam johnson of course and and they were bailed out as well when one of the kansas players i can't remember who it was stepped on the sideline so they did actually get that shot at the end had he not done that they they wouldn't have even got that that chance at the end I think the Tar Heels will be pretty disappointed that that they didn't really play spectacularly well down the stretch there. But hats off to Kansas for a very impressive win. Bill Self's second. And yeah, their last championship was bloody entertaining too. Very impressive. Great to see some faces in the crowd. Paul Pierce, Danny Manning, Mario Chalmers. The Morris brothers. That, that, honestly, <laughs> that, that is the reason above all others that I'm disappointed Kansas won. Can't stand them. Yeah. Well, they... But you of all people should be hating on them. Because... Oh, yeah. No, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. What Marcus did to you guys. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, there was, but there was also a few North Carolina guys. I know I definitely saw Rick Fox was was in the crowd uh, next to Dean Smith. Roy Williams was there as well, of course. Anton Jameson was yes, there as yeah, well. with a beard. Mm. Yeah, you had to kind of go. Oh yeah, he that looks is. like Tim Hardaway Jr. He does. He <laughs> really does because <laughs> of the beard. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. 
One little random thing as well that I did notice while they were panning across the crowd, I saw a guy holding up an A4-sized cardboard bit of paper, effectively, that just said sign. <laughs> <laughs> That's all it said. It just wrote sign on it. Oh, that was fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. So we'll move on to the NBL now. And look, there's only one place we can start. Now, some of our listeners are maybe not quite the hardcore NBL fans that that some others might be. Obviously, you've already talked about this on NBL News, the, the great work you do on that podcast, Jackson. But I think we'll probably have to set the scene a little bit for our listeners, just in case they're unaware of what happened. So if I'm not mistaken, it was after the Tasmanian game. Now, we have yeah. some news today on John Brown III. Definitely isn't going to happen, and we'll talk about that in a moment, but it's kind of the catalyst for all this. Perth, and I happen to be at the game, Perth lost by two to Tasmania in a really hard-fought contest after, obviously, that lengthy period on the road. Costco Mo came into the press conference pretty frosty from the outset. As you identified on the NBL News podcast, Jackson, he wasn't wearing the normal Wildcat shirt, so he, he clearly was not in maybe the best frame of mind. A number of questions were asked about the game. And then you yourself asked a question completely validly about the the fact that the Wildcats still hadn't signed John Brown the third and and was that a distraction? If I'm not mistaken, that was kind of the way you framed yeah, it. Yeah, that was that was the question. Did you anticipate that reaction? Had you seen him lose his call like that before? No. So I've been in multiple press conferences after Perth losses, like there's a game against Adelaide a couple of weeks back in which they lost. I think it was their first road game um, yes, of the season. Yeah, yep. And um, he, he was nothing like that. Like, yes, they lost, but it wasn't anything like that reaction. But um, I thought at the time I asked a valid question, and I'm pretty sure I, I did. And what, what that showed was clearly something was wrong at Perth. Like, and now we know why. Like, FIBA didn't give them clearance until legitimately today, like to this morning they finally released him and um i just so day before there was a press conference and it took reporters seven eight minutes to stop asking about brown yeah so, I actually i actually watched yeah. that today and and that was kind of my next question i guess is is do you think you kind of copped the brunt of it after a hard loss but also the previous day's presser where they basically asked the same bloody question so many different times and your question was different in the sense that it was after a loss and so you're asking yeah how much of this was a distraction so your question was completely valid I actually tried to find the presser again today just to kind of refresh my memory and, and work out what he said. Because I'll be honest, I've swung back and forth a few times here. The first time when I read the quotes, I thought, oh, gee, that's rough. And then I watched it and I thought, oh, okay, it doesn't sound as bad as it reads on paper. But on reflection, watching it again and, and a, a few days later, and unfortunately I didn't get to again today because the Wildcats conveniently edited out that bit of, of the press conference. So they kept the press conference, but they edited out that last question. He told me to learn about the game of basketball. And I think that was the um, main one. But he swore that, as well, which is probably seen as an act of aggression. Swearing at someone is a bit different to, yeah. I, I think I can understand his point of view. They're definitely frustrated. He's not the GM. But I definitely think you asked the right question. You did the right thing as a journalist. The question had to be asked. And and really, he lowered his colours. I don't think there's any other well, description. I think mm. certainly you know, one of the experiences I had with him on Twitter and a little bit of back and forward, I think when he gets challenged by people, he likes to play the superiority card. Like, I know more about the analytics of the game than you do. So therefore... Well, he is a coach. Yeah, but... He sat on the Boston yeah. Celtics bench. Yeah, but a lot of the times the numbers don't really yeah, tell okay. the full story. But um, but no, I, I think 
I think definitely right here. I mean, I think the fact that I, I guess maybe some of the frustration probably came from a lack of action from the club and the fact that they waited far too long to try and make a move to get someone in. And look, it could be that Brown didn't, I guess, become quote unquote available until that time. And yeah, I think we all kind of thought that Frazier probably should have gone after about four or five weeks. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, it's on the club for taking too long, isn't it? And maybe some of that frustration is actually probably more so aimed at the club because, yeah, it's a distraction because we allowed it to be as a club. So it's come down today that the NBL has officially disallowed the Perth Wildcats to sign in because that minimum of seven games had passed. I'll be honest. I think that's the right call. I think the the rest of the country already hates the Wildcats and Wildcats fans. Why give them another reason? So, And I think they could have acted on Frazier a lot earlier. So you make your bed, you sleep in it. The thing with Morrison that is different and this this new regime at the Wildcats that is different to when Gleason was there is that Gleason's role has been split up into like five different people, right? So you've got Morrison, who's the coach. You've got Danny Mills, who's the GM of basketball or whoever that is. And then you've got new ownership. You've got a bunch of other people that were doing what basically Gleason was doing, but Gleason was doing a whole lot more. And what it's come down to is if that was Gleason in that press conference, he would know what's going on. But did Morrison really know what, what was going on in that situation? Was he briefed about it? Was he told what was actually happening with with Fieber and his Russian club. And that was a bit disappointing. I think this whole, like, and I'm not afraid to say this, I'm a Perth fan, but like when I do media stuff, I'm completely neutral. And I think the big difference between Morrison and Gleason is that Gleason had, like, he he did everything and Bendak gave him, like, everything and he was hands-on on completely everything, whether it be recruiting, whether it be coaching, whether it be marketing or whatever and Morrison he's just kind of in his little bubble and and I'll say this I fear the Perth Wildcats are becoming like the Sydney Kings and they're the the NBL NBA team and that's just not what Perth are I mean they're still out of Bend that still out of State Basketball Centre and it it is a bit of an ugly situation because they're now three losses in a row at home and yeah that's just my thought. Get to that in a moment. The other really interesting thing Jackson and I understand that it's pretty rare. (laughs) And again, I know you've talked about this before, but for the purposes of our listeners who maybe haven't heard you talk about this before, at the next presser, you were all told that there were certain topics that were off limits. Was that gobsmacking? Yeah, Yeah, so I've asked multiple people about that and they've said that that is the first time that that's happened to them. Because I'm still very, very new to this stuff, right? So they said that's the first time that's happened to me in my insert how many year career and um yeah i just think that that was fascinating because they told us right from the beginning and i quote danny mills has released a, a statement about john brown you are not allowed to ask about john brown and the situation with the imports and so this is after perth got smacked by 30 points against sydney and i wasn't going to ask a question anyway i was just there to watch it and it was just really fascinating what happened and yeah it it was just very confusing at the same time so Coscomo obviously would have known about the Wildcats history about how successful they've been particularly in the last decade when he took the role with the team but do you think he actually underestimated the massive expectations in this city and how under the microscope the Perth Wildcats really are here I I don't think he's underestimated the club's history I think he's underestimated 
potentially the following that Perth has. And, um, and I'll bring up this quote. He said, you know, all you Twitter fingers or Twitter heads or whatever, learn about the game of basketball, blah, blah, blah. And um, thing is, that's all Perth fans. They were saying Frazier's not the right fit. Why do we sign this shooting guard when we need a power forward center? And I just don't think he accepts the fan base as a whole yet like Gleason did, like Gleason understood that. And before him, Rob Beveridge understood that. And and I'll say this, I think this may be, it's verge on not making finals at this point because Tassie and Southeast Melbourne can easily catch Perth. And I'm thinking this has um 2009 Connor Henry vibes a bit, like just because of their positioning, like it's right on, like I know it was a six-team finals, I think it was back then. It's just very shaky at the moment. And Perth could have had Scott Roth. Perth could have had Adam Ford. But Gleeson didn't leave at that time and he and he was committed. And then he, then he got a call from Toronto. And they could have had Matt Nielsen, but there was rumours about him going to Sydney and whatever, so they stayed away from that. And, um, yeah, it's just Morrison's a great hire, but Gleeson was just so defensive and rebounding orientated. Offence came like fifth. Right. And he had that system in that flex offense system in place for so many years. And everybody knew their role. And people coming into the system accepted their role and they came in and they shone because of it. Like you look at Kev White at um grand final last year, guy was averaging 15, 16 points, and he's never done that throughout his career. He played 15, 16 minutes this season. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's half of that's due to family stuff and floods and whatever. And, and I'm happy that he's back, but um, I think Joseph's core NBL pocket pod said it best on Twitter. Like, you know, the role players of this team are not, they're not being seen in the same light as they want, as they was under Gleason. It's just give the ball to Bryce or Vic and get out of the way these days, you know, run a pick and roll with Hodgie or Juke or whatever, but I'm sorry, yeah. Vic, Vic Law is grabbing rebounds, but he is not a power he forward. Is. Like yeah, he, he's he not. can't defend guys like Jarrell Martin. We saw in last night's game against Melbourne, he struggled with some of the bigs when he had to defend them. The Wildcats yeah. are missing a big-bodied power forward. Yeah, Nick Kay, uh, John Mooney, whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't even have to a be Matthew that Knight. Yeah, yeah, Matty Knight. That would be great. A lot of guys. We've we've been very blessed, obviously, and, and we and we <laughs> no have, one's shedding tears no, for the no Wildcats. One, no one's shedding tears. No. No, but, uh, no, it, it's it's a very interesting point you make about, I guess, the the parallels between the Connor Henry thing and also, I, I guess, the Wildcats and Sydney potentially becoming that, yeah, that NBA NBL crossover. And it is, as per fans, it is scary. Well, and NBA yeah. tactics don't necessarily work in this league, do no, they? So. No, they don't. They don't work in FIBA basketball. I mean, you look at Team USA and they and they only won a gold medal in the Olympics this year because of the talent that they have rather than the actual system that they run because first game against France, they got annihilated in the final quarter. And I remember saying to people before the game, France are going to win, France are going to win, France are going to win. And nobody believed me. And then the game happened and France just killed him in the final quarter. And they just don't have a sort of system in place. And, you know, American teams coming into FIBA basketball and it just doesn't work out. So obviously Melbourne came into town, as you said, Jackson, the third straight loss at home here for the Wildcats. The first time that's happened since 1999. I mean, to put that in perspective, Ricky Grace was still knocking about. That would have been Jackson, James Jackson Harvey. wasn't even born then. Yeah, well, I wasn't uh, born. <laughs> <laughs> probably uh, James Harvey and Paul Rogers were kind of the cornerstones of that team a little bit. And obviously the Wildcats won the next season. But 
should should Perth be worried? Tasmania's doing bloody good and, and they're nipping at the heels. I mean, Perth's run home is here and there. Their final two games are against Illawarra and South East Melbourne and they're going to be really tough with the way that, I mean, South East Melbourne should come out like a house on fire and try and make finals and Illawarra are just rolling at the moment. I mean, Perth have New Zealand next and New Zealand are either really good or really terrible. They, they shouldn't be the worried. Though, don't they? Yeah, they shouldn't be worried, but there's something... Like my head says they will be fine, but like my heart says something is wrong. And, and I'll be honest, when Corey yeah. in the in the commentary said Perth have got this, I felt that way too. It felt like one of those yeah. games where Bryce would take over and just when everyone panicked, to be like that New Zealand game a couple of weeks ago, people were beginning to panic a little bit and and he really took well, both him and Law took over, didn't they? But no, not to be. And look, Melbourne are a bloody good side, defending champions, of course. Better squad than last season, you could even potentially argue. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think the Tassie thing, and looking at Tassie's run as well, I mean, they've got Cairns, they've got New Zealand, they've got South East Melbourne. And that, like that South East Melbourne-Tassie game oh, huge. is oh, yeah, yeah. one of the biggest games of the season. And look, Tassie and Melbourne as well. Melbourne may potentially not have anything to play for, depending on how the next couple of rounds go. So there's there's certainly a lot of stuff going in favour of the Jack Jumpers catching Perth. I mean, as you say, the, the the games that Perth have got left to play, there are some scary ones in there. And and yeah, as you say, look, Illawarra, I think are probably well, I mean, them and Sydney are the, the form sides right now. So it really comes down to these next three games for Perth. New Zealand, Adelaide, and Cairns at home. Oh, huge. Must win. You have to win all three yeah, of those. Definitely. That that's they're just yeah, non no negotiables. Yep, definitely. We'll move to the other teams. So Sydney won again. My God, they look almost unbeatable at the moment, don't they? And they've got guys like Cooks coming back. When Sydney Adam Cooks, they should be unbeatable. But I, I have, I have a feeling that they're going to lose to like a Cairns or a New Zealand or somebody at the bottom of the barrel to end their streak. Earlier on in the year, when they didn't quite have Adams and RJ Hunter, you know, was here and there, and then he was, then he was out. Jordan Hunter got injured. Like, oh yeah, Jordan Hunter is out for the season. They didn't look good and they were up and down and then they lost to Brisbane in that game in which Xavier Cooks got ejected after something that shouldn't have been an ejection and that was shocking in its own right. Ever since then, they haven't lost and it's just an incredible feat to see what Sydney are doing. Like, I can't see them losing for the remainder of the season, but I feel like they're going to lose to somebody that does not deserve to beat them. Well, they do, I don't know why. Away, they, it, they do actually have a game against Cairns coming up, funnily enough. So yeah. Well, Cairns have looked better. I mean, Keanu Pinders, he might be a lock for most improved player, I think, now. He's, He's playing out of his skin. He is born. Yeah. But you know, one of, one of the things I actually noticed as well in that 10-game win streak, they've, they've actually only trailed at quarter time a couple of times in there. They trailed by two against Adelaide and three against Brisbane. So they don't often sort of get run over the top of in the first quarter. And if you look at the last two games, they're up 21 against Perth at quarter time and they're up 16 against Tassie at quarter time. Those blitzes that they're putting on teams, they're they're shutting down games as early as you possibly can. And and, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but at quarter time in that Perth game, I, I, I felt so demoralized and so sad thinking this is, I haven't seen a team pull Perth apart. Oh, their shooting clips lately have been insane like they're they're on fire as a squad but how's this from the tassie game not one sydney player took more than eight shots well i think that was the game where they were shooting 75 percent at halftime yeah they were like that's that's outstanding but that's what's kind of scary about them is that they're sharing the ball really well nobody's really okay you're going to get games where an adams might go off for 
mid thirties and he's going to take a few shots, but, but in this one, I mean, you've got three of the best imports in the entire league and none of them took more than eight shots. Oh, it's the best import trio. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. But, but they're all saying like the team is above me. Mm. I don't, I don't need to be taking 20 shots. If the team is playing well, you know, you're getting guys like Angus Glover and Dayan Vasiljevic and that are, that are giving those really good consistent performances. And then, of course, New South Wales is getting the buzz for the uh, freeway grand final series because the Hawks won two, including at Melbourne. That was a performance, wasn't it, Jackson? Oh, yeah. Cleveland just dominated in, in the entire game. And, and I don't mean this, but it's kind of like they're playing better without Tyler Harvey. No, they and- are, though. They <laughs> That's are. true. He's been yeah. on this all Dude, I've got this question here. Are the Hawks better without Tyler Harvey? I mean, it's a very small sample size, but after the way Rathan Mays has been playing, you can kind of say yes. And it's very scary to say because they signed him on a three-year deal and they chucked all this money at him to keep him. And are they regretting that? I mean, who knows? But are they better with Rathan Mays starting over Harvey? You can kind of say yeah at this rate. Three-year deals are like an eternity for imports in the NBL. Yeah. That's just about as long as it gets for an import contract. Absolutely. The, the thing with Ratan Mays that I'm really impressed with is if you look at the, the last few games, he had eight assists in the game against Melbourne. He had, what, five assists in the, the other game against Brisbane over the weekend. And I think he had seven in the game against Melbourne United last weekend. So obviously he's known as a scorer, but he is really doing a great job of delivering the ball to guys in the right spot. And, and I'm, I'm just so impressed with just how much more in control their offense looks with him there than Harvey. And, and I just, yeah, I've, I've always said this, Harvey's shot selection hasn't been amazing this season. It's probably highlighted a little bit more because he's got a little bit more in terms of guys that can play offensively. They were a very defensive side last year, but now with Duop Reith and Rattan Mays and Antonius Cleveland, they have so many guys who really need the ball and I don't think he's distributed well enough, whereas Rathan Mays has kind of balanced the two really well. I guess we'll just finish the NBL this way. And obviously there were some other games. Brisbane beat Adelaide in a thriller, but we are running out of time. How worried should Southeast Melbourne fans be? Because they lost again. Like They are hitting a bad stretch at a bad time, aren't they, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, I think they might be starting to worry about next year because... Ooh. I can't I can't see Mitch Creek staying if they don't make finals. He's out of contract and, and I'm sure Southeast Mill will chuck a whole lot of money at him because he's playing an MVP caliber season, even though people aren't recognizing it. Like he won't win it, but he's in that, you know, four or five guys. And like Brisbane have been rumored, Adelaide have been rumored, Europe, I'm sure, will have a crack at him. And yeah, it's just a very interesting situation there because if he goes. Who are they going to get in as their high-level local? Because that's something that is highly valuable in this league. And they should win most of their final, however many games they have. But I can't see them making finals. They should have handled Cairns over the weekend yeah, as well. This, looking good for this, oh, yeah. this is the thing. I, I just don't like the makeup of this team. And they looked really good early. But, I mean, Ruben Tarangi's had a pretty average season. He's pretty much done. I was amazed to hear how young he was. Like, I wouldn't have re-signed him. No, I wouldn't He, have he offers nothing at the moment. Um, uh, Glidden, similar, like... Well, you, you would have thought with Brokov going down that Glidden would have stepped up, but he, he's really just doing exactly what he did before that. Well, they both should have stepped yeah. up. Yeah. Chi, 
I mean, he started the season pretty well, but he's faded big time. Isaiah Liafa, they run too much stuff through him. You called it early with Kyle Adnam, Nath. You said that we've, kind of, we've seen his yeah. ceiling. We know he can't defend to save his life. So, yeah. Or inbound a ball when or, there's a game-winning shot on the line. Or pass the ball. Yeah, yeah. Well, in general, yeah. In well, time, yeah. I don't know, why, would, why would you give Adnam the, the ball to pass? Like, give it to literally anyone oh, else. Yeah. I did have one last question I kind of wanted to round out the, the NBL with, and it's something that I kind of noticed over the weekend. I really like Cam Luke on overtime. I don't really enjoy him as a commentator anymore. What are your guys' thoughts on him? I don't mind him. I like him. I, I don't mind him, but it's a damn shame that John Casey isn't calling 50% of the games because if you're good enough to call the Olympics, but then Dwayne Russell is calling over half the games before the AFL season starts, it's... It's not good. And John Casey is a world cast basketball commentator. And I mean, this is not a knock on Cam Luke or anything, but I just think Casey needs to have a whole lot more commentary gigs rather than being on the sidelines. And Amen, it's, brother. Yeah, no, it's a fair yeah. point. Yeah. This is only because that they're doing this stupid studio over here in Melbourne and they're not doing commentators at games, which I kind of get in COVID times, but now we're out of COVID. And the thing is they started it before COVID. It's shocking then and it's shocking now. And I'd much rather to see them actually at games and taking it full in rather than watching off a monitor in some studio in South Bank. In isolation, I don't mind Luke at all, but you're right. When you kind of bring in that wider context, the case is, case is gold standard. Yeah, yep. he's world-class. And now, this week in sport history. April 4th, 1930, English batter Andy Sandham ends the second day of the fourth test against the West Indies in Kingston, Jamaica, unbeaten on 309. This was the first triple century in test history, with Sandham eventually out for 325. Along with Sandham's score, Les Ames made 149, and George Gunn, Bob Wyatt, Patsy Hendren, and Jack O'Connor all made half centuries, as England made a then-record 849. (laughs) That 849 now sits third all-time behind the seven declared for 903 England made in the fifth Ashes Test in 1938 and the six declared for 952 Sri Lanka made in the first Test against India in 1997, a match that didn't see either side bat twice and India concede a half-century to extras who finished on 58. If you're wondering, the most extras in an innings is the 76 that India gave up to Pakistan in 2007. Anyway, back to Sandham. In that series, he actually averaged over 144 in the two drawn tests and just 3.5 in the two tests that yielded a result. And he did this as a 40-year-old. Wow. Mind you, Hendron was 41, bowlers William Astle and Nigel Haig were 42, Gunn was 50, and Wilfred Rhodes was 52. We always talk about these old blokes playing cricket right up into their 50s. Rhodes batting on Rhodes too, hey? Well, as it turns out, it was a bloody road. (laughs) All of that, though, and this actually ended up being his last ever test match. Sandon was a phenomenal batter. Along with the 325, he had a 282 not out at Old Trafford, suffering something close to pleurisy. When the tissue separating your lungs from your chest wall becomes inflamed, it causes sharp chest pain. So terrible stuff. And he was also part of a 173-run 10th wicket partnership for Surrey after suffering a bout of food poisoning. So he can really put the runs on even if he has... (laughs) Has the oh, runs. <laughs> Completely <laughs> unscripted pun there. Runs about runs. Runs about runs. Yet he only managed 14 tests because of Herbert Sutcliffe keeping him out of the side, a man who averaged over 60 in tests, 
and has a Wikipedia picture of himself with what I believe is a possum on his shoulder. Why not? Why not? Quick random stat about triple centuries as well. Amazingly, 10 of the 31 ever recorded have been not outs. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. It's a fairly high percentage. Well, I know two Aussies that declared on triple centuries, for example. But uh, go, yeah. yeah, so that's two of the 10. Old, right uh, Michael Clark and David Warner. No, I was thinking Tubby Taylor the last time we were in Pakistan. He didn't want to pass Bradman. So he declared oh, on yeah, himself. There you go. Yeah. I'm thinking of Warner after he passed that. Yeah, yeah Warner was and, similar uh, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah Michael yeah. Clark just before he got to 329. There you go. April 4th, 1983, in the 45th NCAA Men's Basketball Championship game, North Carolina State defeats the heavily favoured Houston 54-52, with the Wolfpack winning on a buzzer-beating tip dunk by Lorenzo Charles after a desperation 30-foot shot from Derek Wittenberg came up short. This was a bit of a Cinderella story, really. NC State had a good side, including future NBA players Thurl Bailey and Sidney Lowe. They were also coached by the great Jimmy Valvano too, may he rest in peace, but the Wolfpack barely made the tournament. They started the year nine and seven and relied on three close wins in the ACC tournament to even make it. Then along the way to the championship game, they had a two point win over Pepperdine where they trailed by five with 20 seconds left, keeping in mind there were no threes at that stage in the college game. A one point win over UNLV after trailing by 12 and another one pointer against Ralph Sampson's Virginia after Lorenzo Charles, that name again, hit two late free throws. This earned the team the nickname, the Cardiac Pack. Number one seed Houston had future Hall of Famers Hakeem, or then Akeem Olajuwon, and Clyde Drexler. Olajuwon averaged 14 points, 11 boards, and more than five blocks a game, while Drexler averaged 16 points, nine boards, and more than three steals a game. Defensively, they were everywhere. But in this one, Drexler picked up four fouls in the first half, limiting his ability to be aggressive and keeping him to just 25 minutes. The fourth one was a very contentious one, though. Apparently, one of the uh, one of the players actually grabbed him. They were taking a charge and grabbed his leg and pulled him down onto him, which oh, could have been a defensive okay. foul. Okay, and this is interesting after I talked about that Duke Final Four loss this week as well with the uh, fouls on Williams. By Drexler only playing those 25 minutes, Chewy, this allowed NC State to open up a 33-25 to lead. Houston did open the second half on a 17-2 to run, but Olajuwon, who was magnificent with 20 points, 18 rebounds and seven blocks, had to come out of the game a couple of times to receive oxygen. That was because of the altitude at the stadium that they were at. The game, of course, was played in Albuquerque, nearly 1,700 metres above sea level. Houston slowed the pace down, playing into NC State's hands, and eventually NC State had a shot to win it, and Olajuwon forgot to block out, leaving Charles to win the game and the championship. He can be forgiven given his stats, but... Drexler himself only had four points. Mm, one of five from the field, if I remember correctly. So mm. not a good game with all those fouls. There aren't many buzzer beaters to win national championships. Chris Jenkins hit a three in 2016 to lift Villanova over North Carolina. Arnie Ferran hit a foul line jumper in 1944 to propel Utah over Dartmouth. And that's about it. Now, there have been a lot of close games, but they don't always end on a buzzer beater. Hmm. Yeah, Jordan, for example, had that big one, but that wasn't the end of the game. Yeah, it was about Required six. a James Worthy steal it that we did. talked about recently. Well, you could argue a turnover from, well, yeah. from the Georgetown Yeah, player, it was a pretty poor pass. That was, that was. And April 7th, 1928, 44-year-old New York Rangers general manager Lester Patrick replaces his injured goaltender in game two of the Stanley Cup. Already trailing the best of five series 1-0 to the Montreal Maroons, this was almost do or die. But Lorne Chabot went down with an eye injury in the second period leading to one of the most famous incidents in hockey history. Patrick would inspire the Rangers to a 2-1 overtime win and the Rangers would go on to win the series 3-2. 
After this match, though, the interesting thing is that the Rangers actually hired New York Americans goalie Joe Miller, who had been made available. If only a rule like this had existed for John Brown. (laughs) Uh, New York Americans, that's a new one. Mm. There you go. So the win would actually give the city of New York the trifecta as the Yankees won the World Series and the Giants won the NFL Championship that season. And I believe the Yankees also won it in 1928. So New York had kind of a monopoly over major sporting championships for a good 14 months. Mm. The only other city to manage that, Detroit in 1935. This Week in Sport History. Now let's move on to the footy. Now, obviously we're conscious of time because Jackson's been very generous with his time to spend the whole episode with us. So we won't talk about the AFLW this week, I think. We might look at the prelims and the granny next week a little bit after the grand final's been played. Uh, I will say, though, on the weekend that Sodas didn't have a great call. He referred to the Antonio sisters when they're actually married. Oh, my gosh. To his credit, he did he did refer to it as a howler later on. But, geez, he had some other howlers. So he talked about someone being nutmegged. You can't be nutmegged if you don't have nuts. True. And he also talked about True. someone with flowing hair like Twisted Sister. Well, Twisted Sister, they're blokes. So yeah. <laughs> just a weird one. Just a weird one from Sodas. But let's talk about the AFL this weekend. And oh my goodness, another really entertaining round, wasn't it? Some crazy comebacks and finishes. I think we got to start on Friday night with the Crows and Power because I don't want to talk about the Dogs and Swans. I don't know if you guys have anything about the Dogs and Swans. No, no, I I think that's a good call. Yeah. God bless Travis Spoke and him missing set shots in crucial times. Well, did the Power choke? Oh my gosh. Yes. Big time. Yeah, like how many goals were kicked in the final quarter by Adelaide in comparison? Like it was 20-something points. So as I mentioned, I watched the last quarter of the Crows and Power very recently and the Power up by 18 with 11 minutes left. That really should have been an insurmountable position. And they actually had a shot on goal that was a point. Had they kicked that, they probably would have won because it would have been very hard to come back from four goals down. Admittedly, there were a couple of decisions that were a bit funny. There was an insufficient intent that went against them that I thought was a bit dodgy that went the Crows' way. They did end up scoring a goal, not right away, but they did end up scoring a goal out of it. So there were a couple of things, but really, the power should have won that game. And of course, it was the bloke who was quickly becoming one of my new favourite players, Jordan Dawson, who kicked the winning goal. <laughs> and what a curve on that kick too. My oh, goodness. Yeah. You could, you oh, know, yeah. What I found really interesting about just that kick, the moment it left his boot, you could hear the disappointed yeah. silence <laughs> in the crowd. And about <laughs> a couple of metres before it got to the goal, everyone was like, oh, shit, that's a goal. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. Crazy stuff. Now, I actually have a, a bit of a question for you guys. So Port Adelaide 0-3. They've got Melbourne at home this week and Carlton away, who we know are in good form. Melbourne on Thursday too, so short turnaround. Is it time to be worried about Port Adelaide? Oh, fuck yeah. They're done. Oh, okay, yeah. That was a very quick response. Yeah, no. No Aaliyah Aaliyah, so yeah. their backline's hurt too. What do you reckon, Jackson? Oh, yeah. I still see them making finals, obviously. I mean, 0-3 isn't that bad. I mean, Sydney were 0-6 a couple of years ago. and they 0-7, I think they were. 0-7, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's... It's here and there, but they should be fine. I can't see them making top four. Their back line is here and there, and they don't have Lear Lear, as you said. I'd be shocked if Hinkley isn't talked about the next couple of weeks because, you know, he just got a contract extension if I'm if I'm right. I mean, would have been a year ago. Yeah, just because this is now like two years in a row in which they choked a grand final appearance. 
Like they should have beat Richmond. They should have beat. Oh, that's friendly. Where they lost by like seventy five at home or something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last season, terrible. But it's a good point. It's a good point you made, Jackson, about the top four, and and we've seen it so many times in recent years where everyone talks about it. If you're outside the top four, it's incredibly difficult to be relevant in the finals. And so, yeah, at 0-3, top four is probably gone. But yeah, just a worrying fortnight coming up for Port Adelaide. And you, you kind of feel like they have to go one and one in those two games. And it's very conceivable they're 0-5. And, and, and that's why I think they're done, because of their schedule. Because I, I wouldn't necessarily say 0-3 is a death knell. But 0-3 with the schedule they have... I think they're going to struggle to even make the finals. Yeah. And and the other thing, like you mentioned earlier, Lear's missing, but you're also like, no one's really talking hugely about the fact that Charlie Dixon's not playing at the moment. So Todd Marshall was a lone hand up front for Port Adelaide in that game. And they do have blokes like Georgiatis, but it, it, there's some pretty big guys out. Yeah. Mm. And Scott Lysette, I mean, mm. got smashed by Riley O'Brien in the, in the ruck as well. So they're not. In fact, getting... it's funny you say, I think he was the one that got pinged for insufficient intent. That was a bit bullshit for there me. But yeah. Yeah. So oh, yeah, yeah. it's not a great start. And obviously look, hats off to Adelaide. You mentioned five goals in the last quarter. That is a, an incredible effort from a young team that looks very exciting. How often do we see showdowns and derbies just taken to the wire? No matter where teams are on the ladder, they're just so wonderful. Now we'll talk about another choke. Oh, my goodness. The, the Collingwood Magpies, their fans must be... Oh, they would have had a sleepless night after that game against Geelong. That was a monumental choke. I have, I have, a, I have a lot of friends who back for Collingwood. And, um, and I got this text message from my, from my mate. And he was saying, oh, we're going we're gonna to beat Geelong. This is incredible. And then five minutes later, oh, we're going to lose to Geelong. <laughs> and it was just so funny, but shocking like and and i and i think this with every new coach when like when is the honeymoon period going to end because we we see this every year so like mitchell mccray a bunch of other guys and um yeah Yeah. voss at carlton all these guys are in their first year of coaching and um like we see this with caretaker coaches or whoever that that get the full job the year after yeah i just think they're going to be good for the first five rounds and then it may go downhill from then on i didn't realize your point there this is Vossi's second go around of course but with a new club and a very oh yeah uh, a, a, under a, a microscope there at carlton too of mm. course but if i'm not mistaken it was 51-1 in the last quarter yep so just yeah. oh my goodness so kicked, I, I just kicked, don't know what to say they kicked the last eight goals of the game oh it was remarkable and, absolutely yeah. remarkable. and it was it was kind of funny you know watching the game i mean look my father-in-law is a collingwood supporter as well so i kind of watched those games with uh, a little bit of anticipation and and it, it did. It looked over. I thought, well, we'll hang on for just a little bit more. And then eventually, you know, one goal hat and then two and then three. But the time the third one happened, I thought, they're a chance here. Oh, yeah. If they yeah, can yeah. get one more. And they, I think they managed to get one either very late in the third quarter or very early in the fourth, I think it was. And you did. You just felt like they, they could run over the top of them here. Guys like Guthrie and Parfit and Selwood and Dangerfield and Isaac Smith. Guthrie was great off the back line, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah. the run yeah. coming through that midfield and that centre-half back line was spectacular. And all of a sudden, you know, Jeremy Cameron's bobbing up, taking marks. Well, I think he off. kicked five. So, yep. yeah. Yeah, your, yeah. Uh, your pick for the common. My pick for the common, yeah. yes. yeah. I think it's had good weekends, actually. Four from uh, Maxi King. Yeah, oh, yes, yes. Well, I'm a big rep for the King boys. I think we better, well, let's move to the next match. So Carlton and Hawthorne was another close one as well. Now, this I found it interesting. Did you think that Hawthorne choked Jackson? Did you mention that at the top? It was looking like they were going to steamroll Carlton in the final quarter. And um, and they got in front. They got in front by, I think it was under 
under a goal's worth of points. And it just looked like they were going to hold on. And then Carlton, Jack, I think it was Jack Silvani, kicks a goal and Yes, you know, that one over. running into an open goal. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. I, I'm not convinced that Hawthorne necessarily choked. They'll be very disappointed they let one get away. But oh, Carlton yeah, they, really they didn't choke. Again, I just think caretaker coaches or first-year coaches, how long? is this period going to last? Like we see it with Gold Coast every single year. Like that's a reference for what I'm going off. Like they win the first five rounds and then they lose the, the remaining 13 rounds or whatever. And um, yeah, it's, it'll be very interesting to see how Carlton go throughout the rest of the year. I love that that point you bring up about Gold Coast. And we've actually spoken about that in a previous episode where, yeah, looking at their record from the last five years from rounds one through four or five was spectacular. And then from there on in, it was, yeah, it was something like three and 30 or something stupid like that. Well, I think young teams, <laughs> when the burden of expectation hits, you know, you win a few games, people start to expect more. And that's when the, the pressure ratchets up. But they're, they're really worried about crowds there in the Gold Coast. So, yeah, mm. I hope I hope they can keep winning. I'd like to yeah. see them in finals this year. They do have some great young players. But just quickly going back to Carlton, one of the things I'm loving about them is this two-pronged attack, this Harry Mackay and Ed Kernow sort of thing. It's almost like the new version of Josh Kennedy and Jack Darling. I'm, I'm enjoying seeing sort of two... Stuart Lowe and Fraser Gehrig. Yeah, I'm, I'm liking seeing yeah. two, two big power forwards. Uh, sort of taking marks and Silvani obviously playing a, a really a nice sort of role, three goals in 11 marks over the weekend. But for me, I mean, how good was that mark from Jacob Wiedering in the last minute of that game? Backing back into a pack, had no idea what was coming his way, could have ended up in hospital and he probably saves the game. What match winning moments, yeah. 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 Yes. Then the other one was St Kilda and Richmond. Like, Good golly. Richmond were up by, what, four or five goals as well, and St Kilda ended up winning by a bunch. So it was a massive turnaround in that one too. No lead is safe. Well, I've got the numbers. They were up 25 points in the third quarter, and then St Kilda closed the game on a 64-6 to run. Wow. After Shea Bolton kicks a consolation to f- finish the game. So it was basically 64 unanswered points. Like the Collingwood-Geelong game almost, the way that finished. Yeah, yeah. crazy stuff. Yeah. yeah, I saw a stat about this game saying that Richmond kicked more po- more points or more goals in their first 90 seconds of the game than they did in their last 50 minutes. Wow. And wow. yeah, like I think that was for Sir Swamping or whatever. Oh, Swampy, you know, yeah. Swampy. Swampy. Yeah, Swampy. Yeah, Great follow. Yeah, yeah, he really so, is. He really is. So um, yeah, that was just an amazing stat to me. And I think Richmond uh, finally feeling that they let go of all these guys due to Lynch and Martin and all these guys on really high contracts, they couldn't keep them around. And they're really regretting not keeping them around at the moment because they just don't have depth. And I'll just also say this, I think Damien Hardwick said it best last year, we don't want to play here at Docklands because our, <laughs> our fans don't turn up. Well, your plays didn't turn up in the second half. So <laughs> like, it's so crazy to even think of Richmond having a lack of depth considering yeah. how deep a, a squad they've had for the last what, five, six years, really? But let's let's also give some love to St Kilda. I mean, they ratcheted the pressure up to stupid levels in that second half, and, and certainly in particular the fourth. We mentioned Max King had the four goals. He's become a real X factor. I kind of wanted to call him Max Factor, but that bloody cosmetics company ruined that. You know? <laughs> but you had guys like Jack Steele and Jay Gresham, Brad Crouch, Seb Ross, all these guys you expect to be top draw players for St Kilda, winning a ton of football. And if you look at the last quarters, and and full credit to access all areas for these stats, 
Both of the losses for Richmond have come down to fourth quarters. Against Carlton, seven goals to one in the fourth quarter. Against St Kilda, seven goals to one in the fourth wow. quarter. They wow, they're not finishing. Just killed in the disposal game. They're getting wow. beaten in the clearances in the inside 50s. It's not good reading. The body language is terrible. And look, St Kilda, just, yeah, full credit to them. They made them look second rate. Now, we'll finish with the Derby. A similar do thing. We, do we have to? <laughs> yeah, do we have to? <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you mentioned that stat about the goals in, in that last game, Jackson, because when I was – so I was lucky enough to be at the game, my first Derby since probably the 90s, my girlfriend's first Derby ever. So that was – as a Dockers fan, she was stoked. But if I'm not mistaken – Two of the Eagles' seven goals happened in like a one-minute stretch of the third quarter. If it weren't for that yeah. start of the third, which had some people going, oh, might be game on here. Jeez, uh, the Eagles would have been Who are those woeful. people? Well, some of the crowd. <laughs> well, no, when you kick oh. two in a row in the first minute of the second half, yeah, nah. you, 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 know, yeah. you might have a chance. Oh, Jeff, I, I tweeted this. And after the first quarter, there was 18 free kicks in the game. Like the umpires were just blowing their whistle and it wasn't a great game to watch just because of that. And then, oh, so I'm a West Coast supporter, right? And it was just so ugly to watch because, I mean, Jackson Nelson did a great job on Brayshaw in the first half, but then Brayshaw let loose in the second and, oh, it was just a pain. For me, it was the second tier guys for the Dockers that really did really well. So the guys like... Lockie Schultz was probably almost best on ground. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. But I I was thinking the guys like Tucker before he got injured, Banfield, I thought played really well. O'Driscoll, I think it was only his second game. He played really well too. I'll tell you what, his sister, not wife, uh, so does. His sister in the (laughs) AFLW is one of the Dockers' best players actually in the women's team. Yeah. Yeah, those second run guys, I think were, were really instrumental in that win for the Dockers. Fun fact. So I went to primary school with um this guy that's looking to get drafted next year, um, Sam Gilby. He's projected to go top 10. And um, and he went to Hale and he was vice captain with Erasmus. And um there's a video of this, and there's all these Hale schoolboys or ex-Hale schoolboys in the Fremantle cheer squad. Like whenever Erasmus gets the ball, they just go berserk. And I just found that that was really funny. Did you see and, after um, the game actually him taking the selfies with that massive group of yes, guys? Yes, so that's that's the group I'm talking yeah. about. That, yeah, geez, they so, were rowdy, those guys. They were impressive. I love that stuff. Yeah. That's like with Sydney. They There's a group of mates called the Amadi Party that uh, they're clearly yes. mates with him. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, Jackson, we never let any guest on our show without answering this question. We like to ask people the... I guess the best live performance they've ever seen or their favourite live experiences at sporting events... Do you have anything for us? So I have a couple. I've categorized this per sport. So AFL, I was fortunate enough for my birth. So we, my dad and I entered the ballot to get grand final tickets because we were West Coast members and we got them. And it came out on my, you know, we got them on, on my birthday, which was really fun. And um, it was standing room, which was a pain. But just seeing that game was incredible. The Sheed goal. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, I went to, um, the grand final parade the day before and my mum and I were going and, um, and we, and we were leaving the house. We were out of the driveway and as we're driving up, we see these two dead magpies on the, on the side of the road and we, and we think it's an omen. So like, oh, oh, we're, we're, we're good here. I'm so glad to hear you actually attended the game, Jackson, because our last two guests that have talked about that game, both called Alex, funnily enough, Loughton and Roberts. 
both talked about that grand final and the fact they missed it. So I'm they glad had, that finally we have a guest that was there. And they had a chance to go on. Yeah, yeah exactly. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and just, just quickly, Jackson, I bet you weren't thinking it felt like a proper omen at five goals down in the first quarter, though. Oh, oh my no. gosh. Yeah. Well, I thought it was an omen when I saw the banner went down. But yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And, um, and I have another one for AFL. So Dad and I also flew to Adelaide the year prior for the elimination final the one which went into extra time and the, the shoey goaler. Yeah. Ah, so I, nice. I was there and we were sitting next to um former West Coast father-son, Jacob Brennan, actually, oh. funnily enough. So we were sitting next to him and we were part of this massive chunk of Eagle supporters that went and I was right on the aisle and then passed in the next block were all these Port fans and they were giving us so much BS the entire the entire game. Nobody would have seen this because it was never picked up on camera. But when the siren went at halftime during extra time, Jetta fell to the ground because he thought they lost. And then somebody came over and said, "No, we've got another half. We're fine." And then Jetta probably, yeah. yeah. And then Jetta played probably one of the best halves of football you'll see. Well, quarter football you'll see. And it was a big part of us coming back in that extra time. And sure, he kicked the goal infamously from a high tackle or a duck or whatever you want to call it's a it. Duck, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, so, and then I've been lucky enough to attend some great big bash matches. So probably my favorite was the Craig Simmons century off, a, off 39 balls yeah. where he just he went out berserk. Moment, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I also went to my, the Michael Klinger century off the final ball. Of the nice. innings and you hit the six was... off the last ball in that one. Yes. And I know you two have been talking about this and you were front row for this. And um the final game I went to as a Perth member before I moved over here was the Jermaine Beale ah, game, which he went cool. berserk. And that like I just thought, you know, every single shot he chucks up, it's going in. In he started off slow and then some he hit 10 threes he had 40 points and like he had six or something assists as well and yeah it was just an incredible game to be at and i don't think i've been at a better basketball crowd since then did you live in melbourne yeah oh, probably <laughs> no i well, actually i actually know like no, I, State, I was gonna melbourne. say I, I went yeah. i went to a grand final game there a couple of years ago when the wildcats beat they lost that game but they won the series and i i really enjoyed that, yeah. that, and, match, and that experience all jokes aside like i respect the melbourne crowd they are they're pretty damn impressive. Yeah. Oh, they know yeah. What doing. I've been at a couple of cotton um, game winners. So that's been good. Were you, were you there for here. the bank? The I didn't bank go. Shot? No, I wasn't there for the wave, but I was there during the NBL Cup in which cotton hit this massive fadeaway, should have been and won for the win with like a minute to go. And the crowd just went silent because I was there with a mate and he was just so dead after that and it was just so funny but like guy had 30 points mooney had a double double and it was just a great game and i went to like half of the wildcats nbl cup games which were which was really fun but it would have sucked for everybody else who lives in perth so yeah i remember you could get like tickets to both games for 50 bucks or something double headers yeah, for like 50 no, bucks. It, it was yeah, like, oh my it, it was God, like 10 bucks it was for like 10 15 bucks it wasn't yeah. for 50 it was for 10 so like damn yeah <laughs> it's just not fair is it yeah 
So thank you so much again, Jackson, for your time. You've been very generous with it and and great to cover a variety of topics with you and, and great to talk about a few other sports other than basketball because I know that's kind of been your main jam lately. Do you have any plugs you want to chuck out there, mate? Yes. Yeah, so follow MBL News on every single social that you can find. Um, Evan <laughs> runs that so well and he's been doing this for a couple of years now and he's so dedicated to it and he does so much not just for that but for the league and i hope the league recognizes him one day and um mbl news podcast i'm on that with evan and aiden so go listen to that we're recording that tomorrow and i have a website in which i write up stuff called sporting round if you follow that on socials go to the website oh and follow me on twitter at j mcdonald 91 and that's it i think great stuff and i'll second your comments there about MBL news their social media game is very very strong indeed so yeah. that's that's a great follow and please do check out all the work that Jackson does he does a tremendous job and and a spectacular chat we've had with him this evening so thank you again for joining us yeah no, I'll echo that sentiment honestly it's been an absolute pleasure chatting and uh, yeah just chewing the fat I, I honestly you're basically kind of like a, a way further on version of what Nathan and I were when we were your age. <laughs> Very impressive. No, thank you guys. I've really enjoyed this and I've been a long time listener to this podcast. So it's really good to be on here. The pleasure is all ours, my friend. Thanks so much again. And everyone check out Jackson's great work. News just to hand. Emily Bates has won the AFLW best and fairest. You know what that music means, Chewy? What are you at for? Well, not a particularly exciting round in the NBL this week. Probably the throwdown on Thursday could be the pick of a pretty poor bunch. But uh, Geelong and Brisbane at Goomba on Friday night in the AFL could be an absolute cracker. Really good chance to see how good Brisbane are after a relatively soft schedule so far. How about yourself, mate? Well, I think St Kilda Hawthorne could be an interesting one in what's maybe not a very exciting round of AFL. But in the NBA, I'm very looking forward to the Brooklyn and New York game because it's the NBA 75. Until next week, I'm Nathan. And I'm Stu. We are the Sport Blokes.